Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Hello and welcome to A Million Other Choices. I am your host, Kim. Today's story is the first of two mini episodes that I have for you today. We are visiting Medicine Hat at the request of, I believe her name is Shauna from Instagram. She suggested a few from Medicine Hat, actually, and I plan to get to all of them eventually. Sadly, I wasn't able to get much information on this particular case, so it's a mini episode, but definitely one that I think that should be told. I also can't mention by name anyone, including the victim in this story due to some publication bans, so I will just say that this is the murder of Danny Doe. The city of Medicine Hat that we've talked about before in the case that I call the murder of Family X, but let's just face it, it's the Jasmine Richardson case, the youngest person ever convicted of murder in Canada. So you could say that Medicine Hat has a troubled history, but I won't say that because any city has its share of tragedy and disgusting people in it. As a refresher for you, Medicine Hat is in southeast Alberta and built along the South Saskatchewan River, about an hour or so east of Lethbridge and three hours southeast of Calgary. The population is just under 30,000 and boasts to being the home of the world's largest teepee, the Samus, which was installed in 1991, originally commissioned for the 1988 Winter Olympics hosted in Calgary. Okay, so the stage is set. A woman we will call Catherine had a boyfriend that we're going to call Henry, and they were living in Edmonton, and Henry and Catherine had a baby boy named Danny. But things didn't work out so great with Henry. Henry had a bit of a bad boy streak with convictions for robbery, assault, and drug trafficking. So shortly after Danny was born, which would have been around 2009, they split, which probably had a bit to do with Henry being hauled off to jail again. Catherine, then feeling a little bit lonely and wanting a father figure for her little Danny, Catherine packed themselves up and started fresh with a man that she met online and moved to Medicine Hat to date TJ Heller, which is his real name. I can use that, and I'm sure you're suspecting why I can use his name, but not anyone else's. And Catherine and Danny moved into 32 Collins Crescent Southeast. TJ apparently maintained his own residence somewhere else in town. Little Danny was described by family members as sweet and fun-loving, who you just couldn't help but fall in love with. I obviously can't confirm this because I don't have a name or a picture, but based on the fact that he was two years old, I mean, come on, he was adorable and prone to saying all kinds of funny things. Just a delightful little man. TJ was often unemployed, but Catherine managed to get a job shortly after she arrived at Medicine Hat to support her little guy. So TJ, with no background check done, of course, was left with little Danny to watch him. Even more sad because of all these publication bans, I can't even give you the exact date of the events here, but I'm surmising that all this went down on or around June 28th or so of 2011. I know the year and the month are right, I just can't give you a specific date. But I know that it was a Tuesday in late June, so that's either the 21st or the 28th, so I'm going to go with the 28th. 
A 911 call came in from a man later determined to be T.J. Keller. He said that the boy that he was babysitting had fallen down the stairs a day or two before, but he was suddenly bleeding from his ear and had lost consciousness. When paramedics arrived, it was pretty clear to them that T.J.'s story about just suddenly bleeding from the ear was a bit ridiculous. First of all, Danny had a significant head injury that was very obvious. Secondly, there was some evidence that even to the untrained detective eye of a paramedic could tell was an attempt to clean up blood from whatever had happened to little Danny. So no, he didn't just start bleeding from the ear and fall unconscious from a fall down the stairs a few days before. Also not helping TJ's case was that he said to the paramedic in front of the police officer, is he dead or what? And he became combative with the officers when they took him into custody. Not for murder, mind you, but for the breach of his parole conditions, likely something to do with being around children. You see, TJ had a rather lengthy criminal history for things like assault and a number of threats of injury or death. None of his offenses at that point carried a jail term served of more than 90 days. So he was taken into custody and little Danny's death, which was declared upon arrival at the hospital, was treated as a homicide. They wanted to get an autopsy done before officially ch filing charges against TJ. And what they discovered was rather terrible, to say the least. They found bloody tissues and a bloody diaper found in the garbage can at the house, part of TJ's feeble cleanup efforts. And the cause of death from the autopsy was multiple blunt force traumas, as in plural. Either a basal skull fracture and or internal bleeding in the abdomen caused by a blow to the body, either of which could have caused his death. They weren't sure which one did it. He also had what was called a green stick fracture of the arm, which I think that's what some people call a nightstick injury. Basically when something very hard hits the forearm and cracks the bone. So he was formally charged with second degree murder and wait, it gets worse. He was also charged with sexual assault sexual interference, and interference with a dead body. So you see, there were injuries to little, and I, and I mean little, remember he was two, Danny's genital area. There was also blood matched to Danny on the waistband and front crotch area of TJ's pajamas. Diluted blood was found in patterns consistent with direct contact with Danny's head and the tub and transfer stains from some other item, probably a towel, soaked with blood contacting the tub and then being cleaned up. So this story just got a whole lot more gross. TJ, of course, claimed he blacked out on that day. No specific cause of his blackout, he just did. Didn't remember a thing. Oh, and in case you were wondering, as I was, interference with human remains, what's that about? Normally it's about dismemberment or hiding or dumping remains, but he didn't do that. So the only other explanation is that the sexual interference extended post-mortem, which I think you would agree is the ultimate indignity you can do to a person, let alone a two-year-old child. This just completely nauseates me. It is so gross. I just, I don't even want to talk about it. Catherine had actually taken Danny to the doctor just two weeks before he was murdered. Seems he started getting some injuries just after his mom got her job and started leaving Danny with TJ. But TJ always had some excuse. He fell, he walked into a wall, opened a cupboard on his face, whatever lame excuse he had. Catherine, living in complete denial, didn't make the connection between the timing of the start of his clumsiness and TJ's entrance into their lives. 
As part of his conditions in remand, he wasn't able to have contact with five different people, and of course one of those people was Catherine. But he had a hearing because he wanted that to be revoked because Catherine was, get this, the only other person available to him for support, and they've already talked on the phone and at the jail since he was arrested. Oh, Catherine, please get your shit together and make better choices. I will be right back after these brief messages. Anyways, the judge said no. As part of a plea deal which involved dropping the sexual assault, sexual interference, and interfering with remains charges, he pled guilty to second-degree murder. So what happens in that case is that there are two different hearings then for the sentencing. And the second-degree murder comes with an automatic life sentence, but the judge has to decide how long before he can apply for full parole. And that has to be a minimum of 10 years Uh, but no more than 25 in that case. So the first part of sentencing is a hearing where the agreed statement of facts is read into court, which may not be as traumatizing as going through a full trial with crime scene photos and autopsies and all that, but it's still really bad because the statement of facts reveals the who, what, and where of the case and is pretty graphic and detailed. The family had to listen to it, and let me tell you, tears and trauma flow pretty good. Then the family and friends basically whoever wants to as long as it's given to the court in advance of the hearing can read their victim impact statements and these statements have to be in writing even if you read it out loud and it becomes part of the court documents so that however many years later the parole board can then look at them which sometimes they do sometimes they don't. TJ was is also given a chance to speak and give his apology if that is his thing. In this case he did although I'm not sure what he said. The prosecutor gives what he thinks is fair for parole and eligibility period, in this case 20 to 25 years, and the defense gives theirs. They said 15 to 17 would be more appropriate, with arguments, of course, either way. And the judge takes all that away and then holds another hearing giving his decision. Normally, the judge comes in around somewhere in the middle of the two. After this hearing, the media usually accosts you outside the courtroom or even inside and asks you for a statement with cameras and microphones all in your face. And Henry said, three families lost a son that day. What happened to my son is horrible. It's hard for me and my family to go through all this stuff. And at the second part of the sentencing, Justice Rodney Jerk, which is a rather unfortunate name for a judge, gave him 18 years of parole and eligibility. Justice Jerk had a pre-sentence and forensic report on TJ from a psychiatrist finding that he had limited insight, but it was in full control of his faculties. So that would have been an aggravating factor. Other aggravating factors was that Danny was a child and he was in a position of trust like a parent. He was also on parole for other offenses at the time. His apology and remorse were the only mitigating factors. Oh wait, that's not true. The appellate submits that the circumstances of the case can be distinguished in that there was neither evidence in this case at bar of lengthy physical or sexual abuse prior to the injuries causing the death of the child, nor a substantial criminal record of violence resulting in significant periods of custody. Whatever, Canada. That is that is so stupid. Like, at least you didn't rape the two-year-old for a long time. Anyways, he's not eligible for parole until 2026, which is quickly approaching, I might remind you all. He appealed like they all do, but he was denied. And of course, he was found by Henry later on Convicts Connect, that lovely dating website for convicted criminals, where he 
tells future lucky ladies that that he is an NFL fan and a good listener looking for friendship. He's close with his family, a real family man. I take part in and all programming offered here to keep my life on the right path. I'm a good listener and I try not to judge people without knowing all the facts first. I got your facts, TJ. Danny's dad, Henry, said, For me, the damage is done, but if I could save another family, that's all that matters. He's not stating that he killed the kid or that he was charged with sexual assault. So you're going to get a single mother who's probably lonely that wants to write to somebody and she's going to have kids and she's not going to know what she's getting herself involved in. The founder of the website, Melissa Fazzini, who we have heard from before, defends her private website saying, no matter what anybody's in prison for, they have a right to be on the website and correspond with people who want to correspond with them. I recommend that other people Google people that they may be wanting to correspond with, and it really doesn't matter. I think that even if you had to disclose exactly what you were in for with details and all, there would still be women and men willing to date convicts, and unfortunately, a lot of them are parents. A membership for the site costs $35 a year, nicely affordable for those living off commissary funds. Henry, remember, spent some time in prison himself and worries that the site might lure some unsuspecting vulnerable women to establish grounds for a conjugal visit, which is a step towards early parole. He adds, part of me wanted to go back to jail to deal with this guy, but every day I live for him because I know he wouldn't want me to go back to jail and I don't want to be that person anymore. I'm not that person anymore. I need to be my son's voice. And that was the horrible, terrible, awful murder of little Danny Doe. But go check out the next mini episode on your feed today so that you don't have to make do with just one mini true crime fix today, as horrible as it was. Thank you for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.